0: Happy holidays, Caroline. Well, thank you. Happy New Year's Eve. Yes, we are currently on our winter break and are working on making new episodes that will come out in January. And in the meantime, y'all might have noticed that we have been sharing some of our favorite episodes that y'all might have missed. That's right. And Kristen, as we head into the new year,
1: I was thinking about what I want to make happen in 2020. And you know, what is my favorite
0: forever New Year's goal? Mmm. what? To add the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, to the Constitution. Yes. And listeners, y'all might have heard a lot about the ERA this past year because Virginia is now on the verge of becoming the crucial 38th state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, which is super exciting, possibly super confusing for people (laughs) who aren't super familiar with it, but also um, still super uncertain. Yes, because the ERA's path
1: to the Constitution is still unclear. And don't worry, we explain why in today's episode.
0: Yeah, let's be honest. It's not just contributing to a, uh, a Live Forever fund for Ruth Bader Ginsburg <laughs> that's going to get us there. We need to get informed.
1: Exactly. And reminder, y'all, we will be back in a few weeks with a brand new season. But
0: for now, without further ado, get yourself informed about the Equal Rights Amendment, which is taken now Almost a century, if not more, to maybe get into the Constitution.
2: Justice Ginsburg? If I could choose an amendment to add to this Constitution, it would be the, the Equal Rights Amendment.
0: Welcome to Unladylike, where we find out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline.
1: And if there's ever been a time to listen to our Supreme Queen, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it's now. With Justice Kennedy going on, well, a permanent summer vacation, the U.S. Supreme Court is poised to shift sharply conservative. So is it
0: time to plan a funeral for Roe? Hell no. Y'all, it's time to make RBG's ERA dream come true. And if those three
1: letters don't ring any bells, think of the ERA as an IUD for your
0: rights. As Dr. Ruth describes, an Equal Rights Amendment, or ERA, safely inserted into the Constitution would provide effective, long-lasting protection from unplanned
2: politics. It means that women are people equal in stature before the law. I think we have achieved that through legislation, but legislation can be repealed it can be altered that principle belongs in our constitution do you really doubt in your mind that that would pass the judgment of the american people well it didn't it came pretty close
1: ruth speaks the truth y'all the era came within sp- Bidding distance of being added to the Constitution back in the 1970s before corporate cash and religious conservatives
0: effectively campaigned to halt it. Now, the good news, it's making a comeback. And we, as in you, Caroline, me, Kristen, all of y'all listening, we have the power to make sure it happens this time around. And the not so good news, the
1: longer we wait around to get that constitutional IUD inserted, the longer we go without any definitive law of the land equality, like, regardless of how liberated we might feel.
0: And Caroline, I'm going to continue on this contraceptives analogy, even though it is admittedly kind of making my uterus hurt. (laughs) (laughs) But existing laws that we have, things like the Violence Against Women Act, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, the Equal Pay Act, like, they're basically the equivalent of condoms, Hmm. you know? When used properly and consistently, they work pretty well. Like, They're definitely better than nothing. But also like condoms, those laws often
1: aren't applied uniformly, if at all. And that can leave us vulnerable to changing political attitudes in a way that getting that constitutional IUD inserted just wouldn't. Like, regardless of who's on the court, who's in Congress, who's in the White House— The late Justice Scalia even said that the Constitution,
0: y'all, ultimately does not guarantee gender equality. That's why today we're going to explore what the ERA really means, where it came from, and how we can help make it a constitutional reality. We're going to meet a longtime activist who had a
1: life-changing ERA awakening. Then we're going to unpack some long-overdue constitutional claptrap, all to find out how we can enshrine our rights so that they don't keep getting screwed in the SCOTUS.
2: The Equal Rights Amendment is a very simple 24-word statement pledging equality for all Americans. It says this, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. That's it. That's all it says. That's activist,
1: actor, and documentary filmmaker Camila Lopez. Camila's devoted the past decade of her life to getting the ERA back into the public consciousness, back into the conversation, and into the U.S. Constitution once and for all. Quick civics refresher
0: for all y'all Schoolhouse Rock fans out there. In order to amend the Constitution, the Congress first has to pass the amendment by a two-thirds majority. Then they bat it back to the states, where three-fourths of state legislatures, or 38, have to ratify it before it's official. And the thing is, y'all, we've already done a lot of this. In 1972, Congress passed the ERA, along with what eventually became a 10-year deadline for states to ratify. And when that clock ran out in 1982... The ERA had only snagged 35 states. They were just three short. We
1: were so close. Now, 1982 was a long time ago, says the woman born in 1983. I know.
0: We weren't even born yet. I know. That's so cool.
1: So why do we want to talk to Kamala about this now? Well, shortly after Trump was sworn into office in 2017, Nevada ratified the ERA. They said that the whole deadline thing wasn't really allowed anyway. You know, no big deal. Then Illinois followed suit and ratified it in May, which brought the state tally up to 37. That means we
0: just need one more state to ratify. And if you're like, um, why should we care about some dusty old legislation that couldn't make it across the constitutional finish line? Well, Kamala breaks it down. Let's say we wake up tomorrow. The ERA has been ratified. What kind of changes would we feel in our day-to-day lives, not just on a legislative level,
2: but as women walking through the world, do you think? The day the Equal Rights Amendment passed, fair pay is the law of the land. The government does not get to discriminate on the basis of sex. They do not get to pay you less or any of the number of things that they're doing right now. It's immediate for the government. All of our labor laws will need to be examined to make sure that they are, in fact, equal. Not the same, but equal. Meaning, if I'm eight months pregnant and I work in a store where I have to stand at the cash register for those eight hours, it is not equal treatment for me to not be permitted a bathroom break. That would stop. I think also uh, we would probably move quicker towards parental leave, uh, paid parental leave like every other civilized nation. But um, certainly in terms of government pay, any government office, they would need to make sure that not only were women being paid the same as men, but they were also being up for promotion similarly, that they're out at everything. They have to. They would have to examine that. As far as the private sector goes, usually the private sector will take its cues after, uh, sometime after the law goes into effect. But I have a feeling they'll operate quicker. So a lot of the bigger companies are already doing this stuff. But it would start to become more of a uh, expected uh, of corporations and required of any government agency, anything. Like, for instance, Title IX operates on campuses, right? You're required to provide equal educational environment for girls. What Title IX is, essentially, is the ERA. The only thing is that Title IX is only operating in the educational environment. So the ERA would operate in every environment. Okay, speaking of Title
1: IX, in a lot of ways it seems we've already won legal equality to men. Plus, girls are already often raised with this expectation of social equality to boys, you know?
0: Totally. I mean, even for Kamala growing up 30 years ago, like, she wasn't walking around feeling inhibited by her gender. I mean, she walked through the world like
2: she owned the place. You know, forget equal, completely empowered, you know, really just feel like I'm all that and a bag of chips. And that is the way that we were raised. That's what our mothers taught us. That's definitely what Kamala's mother taught her. Uh, my mother's from South India, and she came to the United States when there were only 200 Indians allowed in the United States per year. She was one of the ones that emigrated. Um, and she really believed in, in the philosophy of the United States. That's, that's why she came. She came by herself. She was 15 years old because she believed in all of those things that we say we believe in. My father also was extremely idealistic. Camilla's dad was a World War II vet turned hotshot
0: creative director on Madison Avenue. And he could be temperamental as hell, a stark contrast to her ladylike mom.
2: My mother is, uh, is truly a lady, not in the shallow sense of the word, in the true to the bone. Doesn't raise her voice, uh, doesn't use foul language, treats all people with kindness and respect, you know. So I saw that being trounced on and being totally disrespected and kind of made fun of my whole life. So I certainly wasn't going to be like that, but I also was very protective of it.
0: So growing up for you, when did you personally kind of first learn about feminism and the importance of gender equality?
2: Well, I guess my father was very, very sexist. Uh, My father uh, was very confusing because on the one hand, he felt convinced that women were definitely inferior and should be kept in their place. But he felt, however, that I was superior not only to women but to most men and should never be told to do anything by anybody. So you were kind of the exception to the rule? (laughs) I was the complete exception to the rule. Um, So I didn't really identify as a feminist. I just identified as a badass. Kamala's badassery carried her through being a teenage punk in New York, an
1: idealistic student at Yale, and then an actor in Hollywood, fending off sexism and racist
0: typecasting. Which led her to launch her own production company to make films for and by women. In 2008, she made her first documentary. It was the beginning of an even greater awakening.
2: I was given the great honor of showing my first feature film, which is called A Single Woman, about first U.S. Congresswoman Jeanette Rankin, and they allowed me to screen this at the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C., and it was a very, very big deal. And so I was feeling quite high on the hog. I really was. I felt like my shit did not stink. Uh, Here I was in the halls of power, right in, in the seat of our great nation, showing an important film about the history of our great nation.
1: Before her screening, Kamala and her husband took a walk through the Smithsonian, and
2: they came upon a particular historical reenactor. And I'm standing there in the lobby, and I see a woman across the way dressed in a suffrage costume, and she looks me straight in the eye, and she says, I'm Alice Paul, and I'm back to haunt you because you've done nothing to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment.
1: Back when she was alive, Alice Paul was a radical suffragist and author of the Equal Rights Amendment. Kamala's Jeanette Rankin documentary even mentions Paul. But somehow, through all of her work, Kamala hadn't realized that the ERA never made it into the Constitution.
0: Well, how did you how did you respond to this,
2: this woman in costume? I mean, were you just blindsided? I was just like, for a few days, I thought, That lady is wrong. (laughs) That's ridiculous. We've, you know, we've got other things. Because, I mean, we're not in the Stone Age here. We've got other things. Yet, we
0: kind of are in the Stone Age, Caroline. I mean, we are the only industrialized country without constitutional provisions for gender equality and or anti-discrimination. We're behind 112 other nations around the world in this regard. The more Kamala thought about stuff like this the less she could let it go.
1: She was being haunted, not just by Alice Paul, but by this idea that something she thought was guaranteed, you know, protection she lived her life just assuming she had,
2: weren't there at all. Every once in a while, I'd hear it again. I'd hear it again. You don't have equal rights. You don't have equal rights in America. I didn't get it until I saw a woman wearing an outfit from a 100 years ago and realized nothing had effing changed. It was all window dressing that had changed. And that made me mad. Hold up a sec, though. Didn't we hear RBG say at the top of the show today that
0: even without the ERA, we've achieved equality through legislation?
1: Yeah, and that's where this stuff gets so sneaky, because a really common anti-ERA argument that we've heard since the 50s has been basically, ladies, 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 you already have plenty of rights. And it's true that in 1971, thanks to then-lawyer Ruth Bader Ginsburg, sex-based discrimination was ruled unconstitutional under the 14th Amendment's
0: Equal Protection Clause. And this is a huge deal because prior to that, discrimination was actually considered a privilege for women. Like, it was considered chivalrous to not allow women into certain jobs. It was protection. Yeah, because they thought, oh, you know what? We are the weaker sex, and thus we just need more looking after. To which 1970s Ruth plows in like a bulldozer with a ponytail, (laughs) winning a slew of cases, dismantling sex discrimination laws, by demonstrating to the then all-male Supreme Court how it violated not just women's rights, but also men's rights. For instance, one of RBG's favorite cases was representing a widower who was denied Social Security because only widows qualified for it at the time. And of course, all these men on the bench were like, well, wait a minute, he's like me. That's not right. Brilliant move, Ruth. You center those men. Well, and now that we've kind of moved beyond the discrimination as privileges argument, anti ERA folks say, okay, well, yeah, you've got your 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. You've also got Title IX, which prohibits sex based discrimination in educational settings. And let's not forget Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act that bans gender based employment discrimination. Again, w- women, what more are
2: you asking for? <laughs> to which Kamala says, Don't fall for that shit. We have a a massive uh, case of um, cognitive dissonance because you have women all over the country that feel completely empowered. And I'm here like that wet blanket to tell you it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all lies. And it's all designed to rip you off and to keep you in your place. And it's a really obnoxious message, and people don't like to hear that, especially when they feel like all that in a bag of chips. So this is the problem that we're facing right now. Not that we don't have a strong woman's movement. It's that we have a really entrenched and dangerous case of cognitive dissonance between reality and uh, people's perception of that reality.
0: Feeling empowered on a personal level is great. But what Kamala is saying is that we have to look beyond individual-level, bootstrapped girl power. We have to be aware of legal and political forces that remain stacked against us. Right, because as we're witnessing what can feel like almost
1: every day now, executive orders are swiftly made and unmade. With a little more effort, laws can be overturned. Courts' attitudes can change. Supreme
0: Court justices can retire. But as not-retired Justice RBG wrote about the ERA in the Harvard Women's Law Journal in 1978, the ERA would provide, quote, an unassailable basis for applying the bedrock principle, all men and all women are created equal. And that bedrock principle? That is our constitutional IUD. Okay, so it's not hormonal or
1: copper. It's bedrock. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And to understand why it's got to be inserted, we need to know how the U.S. Constitution determines how important an issue like, say, abortion or voting is to the Supreme Court. Then we can really see how gender and women fit into the framework or
0: don't at all, actually. Okay, so the Supreme Court's job is to interpret the Constitution to make sure as many folks as possible are given their due rights. This is a big job.
1: And kind of like when you have a million emails to answer, you've got to prioritize them.
0: So if a Supreme Court case is dealing with factors like race, religion, or national origin, or fundamental rights like voting guaranteed in writing through the Constitution, it gets the highest priority, something called strict scrutiny. That means those liberties are supposed to be the most fiercely protected
1: while striking a balance of, you know, not inhibiting people's freedoms— And so
0: where does the ERA fit into all of this? I'm so glad you asked, Caroline. So since gender equality is not in the Constitution, sex does not fall under strict scrutiny, even though the court's criteria to hit that strict scrutiny bar include things like a history of discrimination Hmm. and possessing a highly visible trait that doesn't prevent you from contributing to society.
1: I feel like sex and gender definitely meet those criteria.
0: Right? But without our ERA IUD, sex, sexual orientation, and gender identity receive what's called intermediate scrutiny instead. That means things like abortion, being openly gay in the military, same-sex marriage, and transgender non-discrimination have been interpreted as mm, slightly less than fundamental rights. For that reason, whenever
1: those rights are legally challenged, the bar is just a little bit lower for chipping away at them. Not putting sex in the Constitution basically gives conservative judges, for instance, more wiggle room to rule in favor of, say, crisis pregnancy centers' First Amendment rights. You know, a constitutional right, of course, despite the center's clear aim
0: to dissuade women from accessing abortions by lying. Now, if we lived in a world with an equal rights amendment, problems with crisis pregnancy centers bamboozling us, abortion access, LGBTQ rights, and the gender wage gap, like all of that wouldn't be magically solved. However, that constitutional IUD would be a buffer to not only help us protect those rights during rocky political times like this, but also raise public awareness that sex-based discrimination is unconstitutional. Full stop. It would silence the ghost of Justice Antonin Scalia from coming back and saying, you know what? It's not in there. No protection. So, what does it take to
1: get the ERA passed? Coming up, we're time-traveling back to the original ERA
0: Throwdown, and y'all gotta hear it to believe it. But first, we find out what happened to Kamala when the ghost of Alice Paul came a-haunting. don't go away. We're
1: back with actor and ERA activist, Kamala Lopez.
0: When we left off with her, her faithful Smithsonian run-in with the ghost of Alice Paul had inspired Kamala to go all in to try to amend the Constitution once and for all. Initially, she had no intention of making a documentary about the ERA. She just wanted to educate herself. But her search for good sources, you know, films, shows, podcasts, <laughs> came up empty.
2: Then I'm going, wow, that's fucked up. That's weird. Why am I—I mean, this makes no sense. Then one night, Kamala was at an awards banquet,
0: and in her speech, she mentioned the ERA and how someone ought to make a movie about it. Get the word out. Later that night, she was introduced to Carolyn Maloney, a congresswoman from New York who has introduced the ERA in Congress for the past 11 years. In fact, this past June, since Congress wouldn't hold a hearing on it, she was like, screw this, and just held her own hearing, a shadow hearing outside of
2: Congress. Maloney's no baloney. And she came over to me and she said, "Uh, will you do it? Will you do it? And I said, of course! This is this is like a no-brainer. This will be done tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Well,
1: tomorrow ended up being a tiny bit off base. In reality, it took Kamala 10 years to research and report her documentary Equal Means Equal. And making it showed her just how important an education campaign was. Because
0: Kamala wasn't the only one who had taken her equality for granted. Even women in the highest positions of power are sometimes unaware of our lack of constitutional protection. Take, for example, the scene from Equal Means Equal. Kamala is interviewing Captain Kelly Muldorfer of the Los Angeles Police Department. We have sufficient law to give us equal rights and to, you know, pr-
2: to pursue anything that we want to pursue. Did you know that men and women do not have equal rights under federal law? Which federal law? No, I didn't. My thought is that the fact that you don't know that, Americans don't know that. Yeah, perhaps. No, that's interesting. I I didn't know
0: that. So, and then you're right. You make a good point that the fact that I don't know that, um, that says a lot, too.
2: You know, she let me keep that in the film, which, by the way, she had every right to say, take that out. And she didn't, and God bless her for it, because that's how most women in power are ignorant on the matter. Well, from
1: your perspective as both an activist and a filmmaker, I'm curious how you get people to pay attention to the message and not tune out, because there's a lot of reason to tune out, right? Whether it's despair, I'm overwhelmed. How do you get people to tune in and pay attention?
2: Well, you're talking to me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, it's, uh, I just, I just, I don't let it slide. I am like, what do you mean you're not going to do something? A lot of people don't like hanging around me much because I'm not the kind, I don't, uh, I don't go to brunch much. You know, I'm like, what are you doing? I know what you're saying. What are you doing? It doesn't have to be big, but it does have to be. Look at Kamala. She launched the ERA Education
1: Project, she helped organize the campaign for Illinois to ratify the ERA this year, and
2: she's even spoken before the UN. But it's not always easy being outspoken. You know, I spend a lot of time trying to be ladylike because I need to be heard. And um, when you're unladylike, as I have been really most of my life up until now, uh, it's very difficult for the establishment to hear what you're saying, uh, which is unfortunate, but instead of fighting it, um, I'm just kind of learning to work within the constraints of what I have to do to get the job done. I mean, I have to look a certain way. I have to bother to put on a little makeup, put a little effort into what I look like, which is also, you know, anybody that knows me well uh, knows that my I, I'm, I'm pretty much a pajama robe type of individual.
1: But the thing is, Kristen, like, I don't know that a lady like Root will ever lead women into the Constitution. Like, we've been at this ever since back in the day. Abigail Adams asked her husband, John Adams, to, quote, remember the ladies when he and his bros drafted the brand new Constitution.
0: And of course, he was like, (laughs) lol, no. Yeah. And in fact, the constitutional framers intentionally excluded women and not white dudes from that original document to make sure power stayed concentrated in their superior white dude hands. And to understand the effects of that decision on gender equality today, we've got to unpack some claptrap, Caroline.
1: Unpack the Claptrap is the segment where we guide y'all through the weeds of modern-day patriarchy to find out why things are the way they are. And today for the ERA, we're unpacking, one, if it's been around so long, what happened to it? Two, why is it having a comeback? And three, what
0: difference could we make in all of this? First up, a quick refresher on where the Equal Rights Amendment originated. Way back in 1923, three years after women earned the right to vote with the ratification of the 19th Amendment, radical suffragist and National Women's Party founder Alice Paul proposed another amendment, only this time constitutionally enshrining equality of the sexes under the law in all jurisdictions.
1: Alice had her work cut out for her, though. Equal rights just didn't have the same ring to it back then. So
2: then we saw that hmm. our problem would not be Senate and Congress and the president, because now we were voters and had this power. It would be changing the thought of American women. Changing the thought of American
0: women, as Alice put it, was a daunting goal. Gals across the political spectrum opposed the ERA. Some suffragists thought it was way too fast to move on from voting since many women of color were still disenfranchised across the country. On the left, labor activists worried it would undermine minimum wage, maternity leave, and other regulations meant to genuinely improve women's working conditions. And on the right, social conservatives said that housewives would be abandoned without child support and so-called widows' pensions.
1: Nonetheless... Ol' Alice managed to get her ERA introduced in practically every congressional session from 1923 through 1950. For a brief, shining moment that year, it looked like the ERA might pass, you know, sort of as like a thank you to the women for keeping America running during two world wars. But no.
0: No, it's really not until after passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that an intersectional coalition of women really get fed up and go all in for the ERA. See, it was a huge feminist victory just to get the Civil Rights Act to ban sex discrimination along with race-based discrimination in the workplace. But... Once women started filing complaints of being sexually discriminated in the workplace with the newly formed Equal Opportunity Employment Office, the EEOC was like, uh, this has nothing to do with race. Ladies, just no to which feminists began organizing in earnest to take on sex discrimination. They were like, "Okay, cool, we're in the Civil Rights Act, but looks like we need something more. (laughs) And it wasn't just like a white
1: feminist thing. I mean, you have amazing figures like Shirley Chisholm, who was all in for the ERA. You also have legal genius Polly Murray, who noted how the ERA could be especially helpful for African-American women. For one thing, the ERA would compel protective labor laws, like the minimum wage, to extend to domestic workers— it would also protect against sexist discrimination in federal housing, healthcare, and job training.
0: And meanwhile, in Congress, after reintroducing the ERA year after year, Michigan Representative Martha Griffiths, who is officially Caroline my favorite Martha ever, <laughs> she finally gets the ERA onto the House floor for a vote. And surprisingly, like given our hyper-polarized politics today, it sailed through Congress in 1972.
1: Yeah, support for the ERA was so strong at this point, even racist President
0: Nixon was like, hey, Senate, pass this shit. It's fine. I'm not a crook. And with more than three-fourths majority support in Congress and over 60 percent favorability in the public polling— All that's between the Equal Rights Amendment and the Constitution is ratification by 38 states.
1: And we're surfing towards it, y'all. Hawaii's like, aloha equality, and ratifies it within 32 minutes of Congress passing it. By the end of
0: 1972, 22 states had ratified. Like, folks thought this ERA was in the bag. Even the U.S. military had started making preparations.
1: So now we know where the ERA got its start. But what happened to
0: it? Well this woman happened to it. According to the best constitutional authority and the debates in the Senate, uh, this would remove and wipe out the laws of the 50 states which make the husband primarily responsible for the financial support of his wife and children.
1: Right-wing lawyer Phyllis Schlafly became the face, the voice, and the values behind the Stop ERA movement, which was further galvanized by Roe v. Wade. In 1973. Oh, man. Leave it to abortion
0: to just really get people worked up. Schlafly was all over the news in the early 1970s, debating feminists and fear-mongering about how this ERA is going to lead to more abortion, gay marriage, unisex bathrooms, women in war zones. I mean, can you believe it, Caroline? No. Oh my God. <laughs> gay marriage? I Who mean, would it say? Yeah.
1: And this whole time, Phyllis totally weaponized ladylikeness. She and her anti-ERA activist crew would dress up in their Sunday best and, no joke, lobby their state congressman with homemade pies. And even though a majority of Americans continued to support the ERA, there was a ton of corporate cash behind anti-ERA campaigns. But Schlafly was the true mastermind behind manipulating the media to encourage other conservative women to block the ERA
0: And run out the ratification deadline. Feminists did not go down without a fight, though. When the Illinois Senate voted down the ERA in 1982, protesters sprayed fake blood across the Capitol floor and were promptly arrested. Women around the country were going on hunger strikes, chaining themselves to Capitol buildings. Like, feminists were seriously taking the unladylike route. But... After 36
1: years, Illinois ratified the ERA this past May, like we said, which leaves just one more state needed to possibly, finally, clinch the ratification. When that news broke, our ERA activist Kamala was
2: overcome. I just became hysterical, crying for like hours. We were just fighting every second. We were fighting every day. We had calls and I mean, we were just, just fighting so hard that um, if it hadn't happened, I'd, I don't know what I would have done. And there were plenty of reasons why that
0: might not have happened. For one thing, there have been some concerns about, uh, okay, this is an amendment written by a racist white lady back in the 1920s. Like, is this really the intersectional solution we need? Well, in terms
1: of the language of barring discrimination on the basis of sex, legal scholars have noted that, yeah, that would provide protection based on gender identity and sexual orientation. But some folks still want more inclusive language in the ERA. Others want to see an additional sentence explicitly granting that women shall have equal rights to literally get us in the Constitution.
0: Regardless, though, of the language debates, we see that after all these years, the fighting is paying off. The ERA is clearly on the move. We could get an IUD for our rights any day now, but why now? And let's be real. Like, is this really possible? Can we
1: really make RBG's ERA IUD dream come true? And keep
0: all of our acronyms straight? It will be tough, Caroline. But we're going to answer all of our final Claptrap questions when we come back.
1: We're back in the case of unladylike versus the Constitution with our star witness and ERA activist, actor and director, Kamala Lopez. We wanted to find out from her, why now? What's driving the ERA comeback?
0: Camila thinks that in the age of Trump and Me Too and the Women's March, we've reached an unladylike tipping point. Uh, yeah, I'm curious what you think about the the women's anger that has fueled the the movement that we're seeing now of more women running for office, the Women's March, the Me Too movement, I feel like a lot of that is fueled on
2: anger and rage and being totally fed up. Well, I, I like to say that that is this, the exact moment where the cognitive dissonance could no longer support itself, right? It broke. The problem is, and this is what my, my goal and my hope and my dream is, is that people understand that those are symptoms. What you saw, what you're seeing, are symptomatic eruptions of systemic institutional inequality as evidenced by a lack of the Equal Rights Amendment. So when people do not tie these things together, we are playing into their hands. These are not isolated events. This is We have to look at this holistically, right? The, the, the female body of this country is underpaid, has no time, no time for their children, uh, no time for their husband, no time for themselves— Um, is is experienced massive discrimination constantly that is normalized but is being told that they're doing better than they've ever been doing before, that they're freer and twerkier and whatever they are, (laughs) tindering -er, whatever. And so they're all in there, and and they're fucking confused. And all I want to scream as loud as I can is, you don't have equal rights. Without equal rights, these things will continue. The ERA
0: clarifies and solidifies our equal rights. Plus, it seems like it would make judges' jobs easier. Like, it provides a consistent basis of what equality looks like across the board. For instance, like, women being able to call BS on sexual harassment not just as, oh, this is making my workplace impossible— but because it is an actual infringement on the equality of women at large. This isn't about just busting up into the courts and bringing all sorts of litigation and ruining everybody's good time like feminists always want to do, but rather, this is about strengthening our democracy. Yes, that fired-upness you're feeling? Use it! Listen
1: to Kamala. And listen to Carolyn Maloney. She said we have an unprecedented opportunity to harness that energy of the Me Too and Time's Up movements, of the race to the polls and the record number of women running for office to create lasting change for generations to come. We must seize it. At the end of her documentary, Kamala looks into the camera and says, equal means equal. It's that simple. And on its face, it does sound simple. But clearly it hasn't
0: been. Like,
1: we've lost this fight before. And listen, y'all, we can't predict the ultimate fate of the ERA, but we know that there are two main paths to get there. One is the three-state strategy, although now with Nevada ratifying in 2017 and Illinois this year, it's kind of really a one-state strategy at this point. And the 13 states on that list who could still ratify are, unsurprisingly, concentrated in the South. Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Utah, and Virginia.
0: Getting to 38 will be huge. Beyond that, though, is a bigger unknown, since conservative ERA opponents will definitely challenge us on the whole ratification deadline debacle. But that said, there is a precedent for the amendment moving forward. It's just going to be a court battle regardless. We could also take the second approach,
1: or the fresh start approach. That would mean getting Congress to pass a new ERA and bringing that to the states. I mean, obviously, that would take a lot longer. It would be like starting all over again. But if enough constituents want it, that could cut a clearer path directly to the Constitution.
0: However those details shake out, one thing is clear. The midterms matter wherever you live in the U.S. If the Democrats retake Congress, we've got a real shot. And if more of those Democrats are women, yes, it does make a difference.
1: Nevada ratified the ERA in 2017, but they had rejected it in 2015. What changed? Well, not only did Democrats take over both chambers in November 2016, but the state legislature reached a critical mass of 40% women, which is the highest percentage of any state. Bottom line, the more support, the better, so that either ratification option can have a shot. And we cannot forget, y'all, to also bank on backlash and Phyllis Schlafly-style fear-mongering all over again. Girlfriend might be dead, but her arguments are not. But we certainly can't let that spook us from fighting for
2: our rights. It hasn't stopped Kamala. Get this last state and let's do this thing. I don't want to hear any excuses. I'm really over it. And not because I'm simply an asshole. I am additionally a well-educated asshole on the issue. And this is the truth. We don't get that state. We're going nowhere. Fast. We get that state. I don't know where we're going. Maybe we're going to the promised land, but we're not going backwards. Well, Kamala, thank you so much. I really,
0: truly appreciate the work and your passion. And I'm excited to to share this issue with our listeners because I think they're going to get just as pissed off as as we are about it.
2: Thank you, ladies, very, very much. And I find you absolutely ladylike and lovely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Caroline. You ready to amend the Constitution? Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> I mean, why not try to do RBG a solid at the very least, you know? Totally. And we can do this if we really, truly want to get supremely unladylike and follow our outrage all the way to the era here's how you start
1: number one tell everyone you know are your friends freaking out about whether roe is going to be overturned introduce them to the era talk about it on social as an intersectional solution for preserving our hard-won rights and we're going to be posting shareable iud my rights images across social at unladylike media you can also download them over at unladylike.co so go find them and share the heck out of them y'all And don't forget to use our hashtag, IUDMyRights. Secondly,
0: vote in the midterms. And if you live in one of those 13 unratified states like we do, make the ERA a campaign issue for state legislators too. In person, on the phone, via email, let candidates know the Equal Rights Amendment is a midterm election priority you're not going to lose sight of. Making your support impossible to ignore can help build a supportive foundation for the fight that we have ahead of us once number 38 ratifies.
1: And then, y'all, number three, take nothing for granted. If there's one thing we can learn from both the history of the ERA and our current political dumpster fire, It's to never take progress for granted. Like, women aren't a political monolith. Political patriarchy will never remember the ladies. And democracy will always leave as much room for backlash as progress. That's why we've gotta learn to be our own RBGs, together. So join us, y'all, and help in this fight. Again, you can find everything you need, including more info on Kamala's documentary, Equal Means Equal, on our website, unladylike.co, and on our social
0: pages, at unladylikemedia. And if you're already doing something to support the Equal Rights Amendment, let us know, or if you just want to talk to us more about it, hit us up at hello at unladylike.co.
1: Abigail Keel is a senior producer of Unladylike. Mixing and sound design is by Casey Holford. Julie Subrin is our editor. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Rattleit. Special thanks to Kate Kelly and Brett Morris at Earwolf in Los Angeles. And we are your hosts, Caroline Irvin. And Kristen Conger. And next week, we're going to give your ears and brains a little treat. We're talking caboodles, the beauty industry, and all y'all's beauty tips live on stage with two amazing guests.
0: Caboodles are back, y'all. P.S. Can I hear from anyone who had a caboodle? It's our live show recording from back in May. Make sure you subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss it. And remember, got a problem? Get unladylike. All right, Caroline, it's time for a quick civics refresher. You ready to sing along? Yes. Okay, here we go. In order to amend Mm -hmm. the Constitution, (laughs) Congress (laughs) has to pass the Mm -hmm. amendment by a two-thirds majority.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Stitcher.